Hi, humanists. This is Michael Farmer. I am here to introduce this special presentation of the first episode of the Book of Nature, which is our new science, mathematics, podcasts. Uh, this episode is coming on our feed, obviously, but it's also being uploaded to the Book of Nature's dedicated feed, which you can find through iTunes or Stitcher or anywhere else you listen to our podcast or the Christian Feminist Podcast or Christian Humanist Profiles. From now on, if you want to listen to this show, Book of Nature, you will need to go subscribe to their feed, as I'm sure you will. And I hope you enjoy the first episode of The Book of Nature. You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. To the Book of Nature podcast, conversations about science, faith, and their intersections with three Christians in the sciences. All right. Welcome to our first episode, which we are calling the Book of Nature. Uh, with me is uh, Todd Pedler, who is Associate Professor of Physics at Luther College in Decorah, Iowa. How are you doing, Todd? I'm doing great. Sunny day and feeling good. All right. And our other cohort is Charles Hackney, Associate Professor of Psychology from Briarcrest College and Seminary in Careport, Saskatchewan. How are you doing? Not too bad. How about yourself? Uh, I'm doing good. And I'm Dan Dawson. I am a research scientist at the Center for Analysis and Prediction of Storms uh, at Norman, Oklahoma. It's associated with the University of Oklahoma. So uh, let's get started. <clears throat> What are we about? Why are we doing this podcast? Why are we calling it the Book of Nature? Um, if people have been following our, our uh, sister shows, uh, the uh, Christian Humanist Podcast, um, you'll wonder why we have not called ourselves the Christian Scientist Podcast. Uh, why is that, Todd? Oh, well... Well, the, the Christian Scientist podcast would tend to make people think of a particularly uh, a particular sect led by Mary Baker Eddy, uh, uh, and that's not what we want to promote. Um, although I still think it would have been fun to call this the Christian Scientist podcast and see what kind of feedback we got or what kind of listenership, but. Uh, we we decided otherwise <laughs> to yeah. uh, to to give ourselves a, 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 a name which more accurately reflected what we are. All right, yeah. If if, if people are not aware, just uh, Google uh, Christian Scientists, and you'll see pretty quickly why we decided not to use that name. Uh, that's definitely not us. Um, but the Book of Nature. Why are why are we calling it the Book of Nature? Um, so I, I did a little putting putting some things together. I mean, the Book of Nature is is uh, is a term that has some pretty long legs. Um, so I'm going to dig back a little further. Uh, those of you who listen to the Christian Humanist would know this is David Grubbs's job. So I guess that's what I'm uh, I'm playing David Grubbs at the moment um, to look at the the bedrock on which those legs stand, um, historically speaking. Um, it's an old term. It's been used for uh, a very, very long time. Um, I'm going to talk first 
from Scripture, um, the Book of God, as it were, and and look at a couple of places that are likely familiar to to listeners. Um, first one might not be so familiar, but I thought it pertinent. Job thirty seven fourteen. Uh, Job is confronted by Elihu, who's the the good friend of the four, um, who says, "Hear this, O Job." Stop and consider the wondrous works of God. And then goes on to list a number of natural phenomena, uh, lightning, clouds, wind, um, that are your purview, really, Dan. Um, God's creative work is given to Job as evidence of his power and authority. Um, Perhaps more familiar is Psalm 19. Uh, Psalm 19, the opening, uh, uh, the psalmist writes, "The, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Um, There he's making note of the way that all of nature, particularly the starry sky that an agrarian people like the Jews of his day would be familiar with, points to the glory of God. Um, Earlier in Psalm 8, we see something there that's that's interesting. Um, There it opens with, uh, o Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Uh, you've set your glory above the heavens. And later in verses 3 and 4, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? So he's wondering there about <clears throat> the grandeur of, of nature and, and, and how man who seems so small is yet in the mind of God in, mm-hmm. in his care. Um. Yeah, if I to, yeah, go ahead, Dan. Uh, I was just going to say one thing I can, thought of there was I really like that Psalm eight because, uh, as uh, people uh, may be aware, um, we are from three different uh, fields of science sub sub disciplines. Uh, I'm a meteorologist, which is a, a branch of classical physics. Uh, you're a quantum physicist, right, Todd? I'm a, I'm a particle, physicist. particle physicist. I do a lot of quantum mechanics as part of my job, but uh, yeah, I'm an experimentalist. So that's uh, another in particle physics. So mm-hmm. that's another great branch of science. And then we have uh, a, a representative from the social and psychological sciences, Charles. And so those are three of the big areas in science, and they're all kind of touched on in these in this psalm and others. Uh, the heavens, um, touching on physics. And also the question of what is mankind that you are mindful of them. He's placing mankind, the psalmist is placing mankind into the na- uh, into nature here and showing that we're just as much a part of nature. And so we can have a science of, of humanity as well. So that's just something that's that right. struck me. Yeah. yeah. Go, no. Continue with. Great, great point. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, we can go to Romans 1. Uh, Romans one twenty. Paul says there, for his invisible attributes, speaking of God, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So, um, and we'll see echoes of this in some of the other, some of the, some of the, the writings of, of, of philosophers and, and theologians that I've, I've put together for this. Um, so I'll just leave my commentary at that, as it were. Um, I want to turn to the name book of nature next. Um, most often that term is, is used in either an apologetic or devotional sense and is used to argue that the natural world is, number one, a good thing to study, and number two, a vehicle for proclaiming truth um, in one way or another. And so for, for this phrase, for book of nature or book of creation, we can go back at least to Athanasius, um, who's fourth century, 
um, spoke of the book of creation saying um, in one place, for creation as if written in characters and by means of its order and harmony declares in a loud voice its own master and creator. God by his own word gave creation such order as is found therein so that while he is by nature invisible, men yet might be able to know him through his works. Um, and that's, that's clearly referring to some previous uh, understanding of scripture, which where maybe, maybe some of the, maybe some of the, the verses that we've already discussed. Um, we can fast forward to Chrysostom. John Chrysostom is a little bit later, but more or less a contemporary of, of Athanasius, um, writes this. He says, nature is our best teacher from the creation. Learn to admire the Lord. And if any of the things which you see exceed your comprehension and you are not able to find the reason for its existence, then for this reason, glorify the creator that the wisdom of his works surpasses your own understanding. That I thought it was kind of fun and, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, and interesting, too. Um, we know St. Augustine. Uh, I, I think, well, he's, he's more famous, uh, perhaps, than these other two. Um, and he writes in the in the city of God explicitly about the great book. He says there is a great book, the very appearance of created things. Look above you, look below you, note it, read it. God, whom you want to discover, never wrote that book with ink. Instead, he set before your eyes the things that he had made. Can you ask for a louder voice than that? And what's interesting to me about this is that Augustine believed in the possibility of instantaneous creation. He wasn't a 724 creation uh, um, um, advocate, as it were, if such advocates existed. Mm -hmm. um, and we'll, I, I'm sure we'll take that up at some point in time. We'll maybe talk about that. But mm -hmm. um, interesting. Um, we could go on. I mean, we could go on and on. We can go through. So I'm just mentioning names here. We could go through St. Bernard of Clairvaux, St. Bonaventure, Thomas Aquinas, speaks very directly to two books of Scripture and of nature. Um, but because partly because of my background, stemming from both Luther and Calvin, I've got to mention those two former Augustinians. Um, we can go to Calvin directly, who speaks of the duty of Christians to study nature, um, uh, urging Christians to contemplate creatures deeply, not just fleetingly, um, paraphrasing here, because God has ordained that the world is a theater uh, upon which to behold his goodness through his works. Um, so those are a, a load of theologians. I want to go to two more, two more people very briefly. Galileo, who got in a great deal of trouble for examining nature and reporting um, what he found. And for insulting um, the Pope. <laughs> indeed, yeah. indeed. Um, and Robert Boyle, who was famously uh, a man of faith and a chemist and physicist. Um, Galileo writes a very interesting passage. Um, Philosophy is written in the grand book of the universe, which stands continually open to our gaze. But the book cannot be understood until one first learns to comprehend the language and read the letters in which it is composed. I think that's that echoes some of the previous stuff that we've talked about, about wonder and about the need to, to, to really deeply investigate. Robert Boyle, my last bit here, Robert Boyle speaks of this. The book of nature is a fine and large piece of tapestry rolled up, 
which we are not able to see all at once, but must be content to wait for the discovery of its beauty and symmetry, little by little, as it gradually comes to be more unfolded. There you have it. This is not exhaustive. May have been exhausting, but <laughs> uh, but I uh, I thought it useful to to lay that out. We are as scientists, we're engaged in the study of the natural world. Um, as Christians, we are, in, I, I think, enthralled with the beauty and grandeur that we see in both the natural world as a physical uh, system. But as people, as we look at individual people and as, as, and as we engage in a scientific treatment of people, interactions with others and, 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 and on their own. Um, and so I resonate pretty deeply with many of these thoughts. And I don't know um, how you guys want to maybe reflect on those things. I, I absolutely am with you. I really appreciate that introduction um, I think that pretty much sums up why Book of Nature is a good, uh, both a good uh, metaphor, a good uh, and a good description of our project here, and in, and of science in general, of Christians and science in general. So I just kind of wanted to turn it over to Charles and um, have him weigh in on this uh, issue. Uh, take it away. All right. Uh, well, one of the things that I'm hoping to um, to achieve in this podcast. Uh, is uh, that we might do uh, do our part to counteract the stereotype of uh, of religion in general and Christianity uh, specifically being anti-science. Uh, this is an attitude that uh, we see cropping up in certain corners. Uh, we'll you know find this in uh, the um, the rather the aggressive polemics of uh, some of the anti-theists currently, uh, and also touching a bit on my own background. I was raised in a, uh, a rather conservative uh, Baptist upbringing uh, that had a, uh, uh, a church versus the world uh, mentality. Uh, and so uh, I had a tendency to, uh, to you know, accept what I had heard about science being um, opposed to, uh, to faith and so we have the wisdom of God and science is the foolishness of man. Uh, and I, eventually I got over it. So <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping that uh, some listener, that this might help some listeners to also get over it, to, uh, to, to see that faith and science are uh, complementary and, and they are inextricably bound together, not that they are antagonistic and that uh, religion and science uh, are not contradictory. Uh, rather, they uh, they work together and they, they fit well together. All right, uh, sounds good. I I'm, I can certainly echo those sentiments. Uh, I'm, I assume you can as well, Todd. Uh, absolutely. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, I think well, I mean, one of the things that I often say when asked um, about the question of being a person of faith and a scientist. Um, is that I have to be in every way that I can be true to myself and to bifurcate myself or lobotomize myself um, in some artificial manner is just not sensible. Yes. Um, I'm a Christian. I see with the same eyes things which I can give God glory for and which I can appreciate for the mathematical beauty of the structures that I, that I study. Um, and the two are 
speaking similar things, and they come from one mind, and I say them both gladly. Um, I think to, to, to try to put some kind of barrier in the midst of, of those two parts of my life, just it, it just seems to me nonsensical. So I see synergy. I see harmony. Um, they're not mutually. They're not completely mutually overlapping. Certainly, in in, in some sense, uh, in any sense, really. But uh, but I am gladly a Christian who practices science, and I don't see the conflict either. Never have. Okay. Have to be honest. Yeah. All right. Well. Um, it, my thinking on this is again very similar to both of, both of yours, uh, but uh, I wanted to say something about sort of my uh, uh, a little uh, to add to that about uh, my particular uh, shall, shall I say motivation for this podcast. Uh, some people may look at our what we've said so far, and we've talked about the compatibility of science and faith and whatever, and wonder, oh, does this mean that we're going to be oriented towards apologetics? Are we going to defend the faith against some of the uh, some of the uh, anti-Christian uh, uh, sentiments that we see in some circles of the scientific community? And from my perspective, I don't really see us doing that as as a primary. Uh, uh, primary, uh, can't think of the word, uh, <laughs> as our primary goal. Yeah. Primary ethos. Yeah. Um, I think those, those things certainly will come up and we can talk about why certain attacks on, uh, Christian Christianity and, or particular Christian, uh, positions, uh, may, may not be, uh, well-founded, but I am much more interested in building up sort of a positive conversation about how we can think better about how we do science um, with uh, theistic assumptions in a theistic universe and as Christians ourselves, um, and just talk about um, how those can coexist in one person, how they talk to each other, and in doing so, I think that we'll be able to show to the listener, um, both believers and non-believers, just how uh, real scientists who are Christians think. And uh, that, I think, will help elevate the conversation uh, over what you may see in certain uh, antagonistic sort of uh, polemic types of uh, uh, shows or whatever. There's plenty of resources for uh, for uh, apologetics, and I, I, I definitely have benefited myself from them, but I don't primarily see us as as doing that. So, but if certainly if those things come up, I'm, I'm very much interested in talking about them. So, um, uh, does anybody else have anything to add to that? Oh, I have a few things to say about, uh, the, the misuse of psychology and, uh, certain, uh, uh, certain polemical and apologetic, uh, literatures. All right. So that may come up at some point. Okay. I think we'll... We'll, we'll definitely get there. Yes. <laughs> That's a teaser. For, I expect. Yes. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's move on. Um, so let's, let's just talk, uh, step back a little bit and get personal and talk a little bit about uh, our personal uh, journeys, both how we became uh, scientists, how we got into science, and also our, our journeys of faith. And you can be as, as uh, detailed or, or vague as you want to be. Um, and we'll just to give uh, the listeners an idea of our backgrounds, 
Um, so let's let's start with Charles. All right. Um, in terms of uh, in terms of me personally, I'm originally from uh, Alaska. Uh, did my undergraduate uh, training at uh, George Fox College, which is now George Fox uh, University in uh, Oregon. Uh, and then uh, my doctorate at uh, State University of New York at Albany. Uh, after that, I uh, started working at Redeemer University College in Ontario and um, currently uh, working at uh, Briarcrest College and Seminary in uh, Saskatchewan. Uh, in terms of uh, my faith background and, and how I got into science, uh, as I mentioned, I was uh, brought up in a Baptist background. Uh, it's been an interesting, kind of an interesting process of wandering a little bit, uh, sort of wandering within the broad, you know, broadly defined uh, evangelical stream of Christian thought. Uh, so I was raised Baptist, uh, attended a, um, a Quaker college. Uh, while I was in graduate school, I attended a non-denominational evangelical church, uh, and then got hired at Redeemer, which is run by Dutch uh, Calvinists met and married a Nazarene pastor, and uh, currently we are uh, attending an Anglican church and uh, strongly uh, uh, finding ourselves uh, associated with the evangelical stream of Anglican, uh, Anglican thought. Uh, so I suppose I would uh, describe myself currently as uh, evangelical nonspecific with a newly discovered enthusiasm for liturgy. <laughs> excellent, in, excellent. I like that. <laughs> in terms of how I got into uh, into psychology, uh, I've always been impressed by people who had uh, some sort of insight into the human condition. What makes people tick? Why do people do the things that they do? Um, I, I was interested in the idea that we can can learn about people and understand not just uh, the human condition in general, but uh, specific individuals. One of the things that uh, uh, I did uh, growing up was read far too many books that were way above my um, uh, above my age range, uh, and I always wanted to be able to do the Sherlock scan. I uh, read all the Sherlock Holmes stories, and the the this ability that always pops up in all the stories uh, is uh, Sherlock Holmes' ability to look somebody over, and just by looking somebody over, he picks out a clue here and a clue here, and he knows about them. Uh, so I always thought that was cool, and that'd be, uh, that'd be a great superpower to have. Uh, <laughs> but basically, I wanted, to, I wanted to know about people. I wanted to understand humans. And like, a like many people, and this might be something to bring up as we do some of the more psychology-centered episodes, like many people, I kind of took for granted that psychologist means therapist. So if I want to be uh, the kind of person who knows about people, I'll become a psychologist, which means I'll have to uh, learn how to do counseling and psychotherapy, and I'll open up a practice. And, and I, uh, I got to figure, uh, I like kids. Okay, all right, that's the plan. I will study psychology, open up a practice, work with children, and then I will be one of these people who knows what people are like. And that lasted up until I majored in psychology at George Fox College and uh, started taking uh, counseling courses and realized I really didn't want to do that. <laughs> um, but some of the more research-oriented classes that I took, things in, in like social psychology and developmental psychology and personality psychology, I loved it. I, I, I ate that stuff up. I thought it was great. 
Uh, and so much to my delight, I found out that it is actually possible to be a psychologist and not even be a people person. This was wonderful. Wow. Yeah. I, I, I can be a reclusive, grumpy, introverted bookworm uh, and still do good psychology. This is great. Uh, so I started uh, exploring the more research-oriented forms of psychology. I um, uh, applied to a number of PhD programs, and uh, as I said, I got into the uh, social and personality psychology PhD program at the State University of New York uh, at Albany, uh, where I uh, specialized in uh, the psychology of religion, which can be another fun topic for some point, um, did, did my dissertation on terror management theory, uh, which is all kinds of fun. It's an existential theory of motivation centering around the human search for meaning and value in the face of inevitable mortality. <laughs> That's and, enough. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> uh, and uh, currently, my primary uh, research emphasis is the positive psychology movement, uh, studying things like uh, character strengths and virtues. Um, I uh, in, Mostly, I've been steering that in the direction of... Um, examining the positive psychology movement from a Christian perspective, and also using this, uh, the idea of character strengths and virtues as uh, a way to approach the psychology of the martial arts. Uh, I've been a uh, student of the martial arts for about 20 years now, and I'm interested in the psychological effects of training. Uh, so, uh, shameless plug, I have a book out. Uh, martial Virtues, 2010 Tuttle Publications, Look for it at Amazon.com. <laughs> All right, there you go. Yeah, so uh, that's that's it. That's Certainly, we're we're not above uh, p plugging ourselves in our work here. That's perfectly mm -hmm. fine with me. Hmm. Well, I'm going <laughs> to like it here then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, how about you, Todd? Okay. Well, um, I'll try to do things chronologically in some sense. I mean, uh, I can go back to high school. Uh, um, we were a uh, family attending a Lutheran church. Um, I always grew up in, in the church. We were uh, at a Baptist church and, and for various reasons um, moved to a Lutheran congregation that had a number of our friends and, uh, and, and so forth. Um, my dad was a high school teacher of physics, chemistry, and math. Um, and, you know, as I, as I, as I said earlier, as I, as I grew up, um, being a Christian and studying science, it just seemed to be very natural to me, uh, based partly on the fact that my dad was one. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I grew up in a home that, um, wh where we, we did a lot of exploring of, of things, whether it's stars building rockets, uh, going on long trips, uh, through Eastern Oregon, uh, digging rocks for, for the earth science classes that, uh, that he was taking and, and whatnot. Um, and, and so I saw, um, a life that was, uh, it had both elements, uh, in it, uh, from the earliest days that I can recall. Um, my college years were spent at Whitman College in Walla Walla, Washington. Uh, it's a private liberal arts college, a lot like Luther, except smaller. Um, majored in physics there. Um, I actually went there with the thought that I was going to design airplanes. I was going to be an aeronautical engineer, um, but had two wonderful 
professors who taught my physics courses in the first two years, and really, I would have to say from the first year, I was I was hooked um, to the academic life uh, as a physicist. Um, and and by the time I left Whitman, I was absolutely going to be aiming for a job where I could do research, um, teach in a rigorous uh, atmosphere um, with that balance rather than uh, be solely focused on research. It was never really something that I uh, wanted my 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 life to look like because I enjoyed the classroom and the interaction with others um, too much. Um, so I guess I was sort of more of a people person um, than than someone <laughs> to hold up and and do research for my entire uh, my entire life. I went, met my wife there. Very happy to have um, to have uh, attended that particular college and met uh, a wonderful young lady who um, who with whom I had great synergy. I mean, we just we we we. Um, yeah, I mean, life was going to be good uh, with her uh, uh, together. So we, we married the year after uh, I graduated. She was a year behind me. Uh, by that time, I had gone on to Northwestern University to uh, study there in, uh, in Evanston, Illinois. Um, did uh, Got into particle physics as a research uh, career. Spent time at Los Alamos, New Mexico, at the lab there at Brookhaven on Long Island, um, and primarily at Fermilab, where I did my dissertation on uh, uh, on a topic which perhaps we will talk about sometime, I suppose. Um, and uh, you know, by by the throughout college, I, I experienced what many students do who grow up in Christian homes. I wavered a great deal. Uh, my wife and I attended the the Christian fellowship. Um, on occasion, and and started going to church regularly again. I, I sort of got back into it, I guess, in at the end of of uh, my time at Whitman. Um, and when we uh, when she moved to um, to Evanston after my first year uh, uh, at uh, at Northwestern, um, we started looking around again for a church to to call home. And her first boss, uh, Heather, was putting food on the table. Um, my stipend took care of our cable bill, I think, uh, <laughs> more or less. Um, and uh, and we were looking for a church, and her first boss invited us to the church that we eventually ended up at, which was a, um, a Presbyterian congregation in one of the more conservative denominations, the PCA, Presbyterian Church in America. Um, and there, I really have to say, I found an amazing uh, place for my own development, uh, really in terms of uh, being an intellectual, a scientist, and a Christian. Um, the Many of our friends were uh, associated with uh, the seminary, Trinity Seminary in, in Deerfield, Illinois. Um, and so we naturally had a group with whom to talk about big ideas and, and, and really uh, just thinking about the life of faith um, and 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 other fields together science history uh, etc with with equal seriousness and depth and and and, and it really really um, did give me an opportunity to really sort of develop um, a more holistic view of of life and and academic pursuits and so i I'm, I'm indebted to them in many ways for forming me spiritually and intellectually um, at that time then um, at that time the time I finished my phd in one thousand nine hundred and ninety nine we moved to Ithaca, New York. 
Um, I was doing postdoctoral work there as a postdoc for Ohio State, the Ohio State University, um, at an experiment that was housed at, at Cornell. So I was um, initially a postdoc with Ohio State, later transitioned into a postdoctoral appointment at Cornell, spent four years there. We were members of a PCA congregation as well. Again, had had similar experience just being um, uh, and, and being involved in conversation all of the time about um, a- academic life as a Christian. And so, I mean, I, that time, too, was really formative uh, for me as well. Um, since then, uh, since leaving there in 2003, I came to Luther. Um, Luther is a, congr- a church-related college. It is um, of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Um, it is a private liberal arts college, much like well, I would say it, it, it parallels George Fox. It looks like um, it looks like Whitman in some ways. Um, and here, I continue to do particle physics research. Um, I don't do it on campus here. We don't have an accelerator here, unfortunately. Um, I I did work for quite some time, for about five or six more years, with the experiment at Cornell. So I traveled back and forth to there, took students there, um, and now I'm involved with another experiment, similar experiment in Japan. So I go a couple of times a year to Japan um, for meetings and so forth, and we're gearing up for a new, long, extended period of running, um, probably starting in a couple of years, 2016 or so. Um, I involve my students with me. I typically have a couple of student research assistants all the time. We do a lot of work in the summer. We also do a little bit in the um, during the year. And it's a great, you know, it's a great chance here because I'm at a liberal arts college, but I'm doing um, fairly involved research out um, with lots of research university colleagues. It's a great, it's great it's a great middle ground for me. I feel like I'm really lucky with the job that I've got because I can teach um, these kids. I know them very well because of the size and type of institution we are. Um, they get involved in my life. Some of them babysit my kids. Um, it's just a it's a, it's a great place. It's a great place for me to be um, and to be able to sort of keep that balance of of family, of commitment as a Christian, of teaching and involvement with students, um, and to be a researcher that's active in my field and and, uh, doing all the things that researchers do. So that's where I am today, and I'm sure that more personal details will come up as we talk, but uh, I want to leave you some time. Yeah, yeah um, we are definitely going to have to do a uh, an episode in, uh, in which you tell us about this experiment you're running. Absolutely, uh, yeah. I was just going to say that that, that I'm really uh, intrigued. <laughs> um, I myself have gotten quite interested in particle physics as sort of a, an aside, kind of amateur. Mm-hmm. Thing. And so I'm very much interested to hear about that. Well, and what um, I'd really like to talk about, actually, now that I think about it, is um, some of the experiences I have in uh, working with an experiment that is primarily Japanese. Well, not now. We're sort of about 50-50, Japanese institutions and and not. But I'm spending a lot of time in Japan, and, and you know, it's, it, it's, it's really interesting, the cultural connections and, and the cultural disparities. Um, and having been part of this experiment when the earthquake happened ah. and seeing the aftermath of that and just watching how their culture responded and continues to respond, it's been very, very interesting. So I bet, Charles, you might have some input um, perhaps to, to at least to give some insights, um, uh, maybe especially since you've studied martial arts and maybe have studied a little bit of Asian culture 
um, along with. Well, at the moment, cool. I'm, uh, I'm just over here stewing in jealousy over uh, this traveling that you get to do. Uh, while <laughs> I, uh, well, I'm in Saskatchewan, and I get to travel to a wheat field. <laughs> I went to school in wheat fields. There's a lot so to I be know. said. <laughs> There's a lot to be said for wheat fields. They're they're good to see tornadoes across. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. let's hear from you, Dan. All right. Yeah. Um, well, um, my my story of how I got in, in, into science is echoes quite a bit uh, what you both have said. I really knew I wanted to be a, some kind of scientist at a very early age. Um, I recall having uh, just being absolutely fascinated with astronomy and meteorology um, as a child. Uh, for whatever reason, I would have nightmares. Where other kids would have nightmares about monsters chasing them and stuff. I certainly had my share of those. I would have nightmares about tornadoes. Just They would just fill my dreams. And... Um, I was just absolutely terrified of thunderstorms when I was when I was a child. Don't really know why, but that sort of spurred me on because I had this sort of analytical mindset from a very early age. I wanted to learn about how everything worked. It spurred me on to learn about tornadoes and storms, and and it really solidified my love of meteorology. Um, and I just remember go, going into high school, pretty sure I wanted to be in meteorology, but not 100% certain. But uh, then the Atlantic hurricane season of uh, 1995 came along, which was a pretty active season uh, until 2005 came along and totally eclipsed it. But I just remember that was – 95 was, was when the Internet was really starting to become sort of mainstream and it was being used in all kinds of educational settings and whatnot. And I just remember going to uh, the high school library, loading up the – web pages to see satellite images of hurricanes in real time. And I just said, this is so cool. I could look at this stuff in real time. I could study this and track these things in real time. I said, I'm going I'm, I'm to be a research meteorologist. Um, and kind of like what Charles was saying about how he thought, oh, if I'm going to be a psychologist, I'm going to have to be some kind of therapist. Well, a lot of people, when they think meteorologist, they think, ah, oh, he's going to be on TV someday, right? And if I had a nickel for um, every time somebody asked me that, when I told them I was a meteorologist, I'd be rich. That with, uh, uh, in addition to the nickels for people saying, okay, uh, this rock that I found the other day, could this be a meteor? <laughs> Those kinds of things. Um, so, um, so, yeah, I, I'm a research meteorologist, which means that um, I really study the science and the physics behind meteorology. Um, fluid dynamics of the atmosphere and all the other physical processes going on, which um, will help benefit operational forecasting. But I don't do that as a job, although I love doing it just for fun. Um, I bet you get lots of questions about that, too. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Dan, is it going to rain tomorrow? Do I need to wash my car today? Yeah. I I am my family's... uh, uh, go-to guy. They all, they always call me up and ask what's going on and if they need to, uh, you know, be prepared for storms that are on the way and things like that. And I, and I enjoy I enjoy playing that role. It's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, um, after high school, I went to Purdue uh, and majored in uh, meteorology, technically atmospheric dynamics. Um, and they have a really small but pretty good uh, uh, school there. Well, it's a school of science, but it's a department for meteorology. And I was privileged to ride a wave of departing professors that had been there for quite a while but were just excellent uh, professors, excellent teachers. And I really uh, 
really uh, am grateful for that uh, that opportunity. Um, but uh, after that, I knew that I wanted to get involved with studying severe weather and tornadoes. And to do that, the best place that I knew of was in the, at the University of Oklahoma. So I applied for graduate school there, got in, and uh, graduated with my uh, PhD in uh, 2009. And since then, I've sort of been bouncing around um, to uh, to many different uh, kind of organizations here at this uh, building we call the National Weather Center, which is a combination of uh, federal uh, um, federal agencies, uh, state agencies, and, and the School of Meteorology here at the university that sort of talk with each other and uh, collaborate on research uh, for the atmosphere with an emphasis on uh, convective storms uh, and severe weather. But uh, currently I'm at the Center for Analysis and Prediction of Storms. I'm, I'm finishing up my last year as an NSF postdoc. I'm sort of this uh, quantum superposition right now of a postdoc and a research scientist. It's a long story, which we may get into at some <laughs> point, but yeah. I won't right now. Um, but at, at, at any rate, my, my particular areas of research uh, involve uh, numerical modeling of of uh, convective storms and tornadoes. So basically we uh, write a uh, down a set of equations that uh, govern the uh, motions of the atmosphere and also physical processes within the atmosphere like uh, formation of clouds and rain and, and, radi and radiation physics and all the, all the whole kit and caboodle. And uh, we, we compute that uh, in a numerical model and simulate the behavior of the atmosphere within a computer and uh, that's essentially my, uh, my main area. Uh, I specialize in uh, the physics of clouds and precipitation, how rain and snow and hail form, and how that impacts the, the dynamics of the storms, like the amount of cold air that they put out and things of that nature. But I won't get into too much detail, but that's uh, my uh, fascination. I'm fascinated with tornado dynamics. I'm a big-time storm chaser. I have done that both in a scientific field program uh, since, and also as an amateur, just for, for as a hobby. Um, I was involved in the Vortex 2 field program, which ran from uh, 2009 to 2010, two seasons, a month and a half each season. And that program was uh, uh, specifically designed to uh, surround individual supercell thunderstorms, which are the thunderstorms that are most commonly produced tornadoes, and get as much data collected on those storms as possible to understand tornadoes. And um, so that's where I am scientifically. I'm working on uh, a proposal right now uh, for to do some more research on cloud and precipitation microphysics and storms. I'm trying to wrap up a few papers. I'm very busy, but I'm loving every minute of it. I met my wife here as, as, as a grad student at OU, and both of us are big-time storm chasers and very much fascinated with weather, and it's just been great uh, having her to participate in this life journey with me. Um, at any rate, that, that's my scientific background. Um, my faith background is I've been uh, a Christian for a very long time. I, I believe I, I became a Christian in uh, 1993. And I kind of grew up in a family, uh, a Christian family, but we moved around a lot. And so we didn't really attend church that much until I was probably 10, 11-ish. And so I really didn't have the life of the church there for quite a while, at least that I can remember. 
we started attending it in my uh, preteen years. And we uh, settled on a, a church in Plainfield, Indiana, which is part of the sort of the Stone Campbell movement of uh, the Christian churches, the, um, which is sort of made up of the Christian churches, Disciples of Christ, and uh, the uh, Churches of Christ. And you may that may sound familiar because that's uh, Nathan Gilmore's background of the Christian Humanist podcast. And indeed, we went to the same church. That's how I know him. We were in the uh, high school youth group together. And uh, that was a very uh, important formative time as a believer for me. Um, and I remember, and we can talk about this more in future uh, podcasts, but uh, I remember having similar situation to Charles in that science, well, it w- our church certainly wasn't anti-science, but there was a certain overall suspicion cast on certain realms of science particularly when it came to uh, evolutionary biology. And I remember when I first became a Christian, I didn't ever even occur to me that there would be a conflict between science and faith. And I started speaking up about, you know, well, I think you can have, you know, evolution and, and faith compatible and things like that. And, and I, and not that not being too well received. And so I was actually given some resources on creationism uh, particularly the young earth variety. And I really got deep into that for a long period and uh, was, I would say, a pretty staunch young earth creationist up to early grad school days. And then things started to turn around. And over a, over a period of time, I sort of abandoned that approach and kind of came full circle to a more, I guess, evolutionary view. But the whole time I really maintain my uh, my strong faith. I did have some wavering, as everybody does, and trying to find themselves in college. But uh, I feel like I've grown quite a bit. I've matured quite a bit in my faith and my understanding of these things. Um, I certainly don't claim to have all the answers in that regard. But uh, my background, as I said, was sort of the Christian churches. I currently attend a uh, non-denominational sort of independent Baptist-ish that Baptist-ish kind of church congregation. Um, so I don't really place myself in any particular, uh, I would say I'm broadly evangelical, broadly orthodox, little o orthodox, but I don't have any particular denominational ties at this point. So that's really kind of my background and mm-hmm. kind of rambling as I am want to do, but... Uh, um, you're, good, you're good professor material then. Yeah, yeah. So uh, let's see. We uh, should probably move on um, uh, to our next topic, Mm -hmm. our next question here. Um, What kinds of things, specific topics, uh, do we plan on uh, addressing in in the show? I I asked each of you to come up with two or three that you would like to talk about. So I'm going to turn it over to uh, Charles first and – Give us some of his ideas. Okay, I don't know if I'll be able to keep myself to two or three, but uh, I'll keep it short and sweet. You um, won't be alone. <laughs> uh, there are a number of ideas, a number of things that are on my mind might be fun to uh, examine uh, down the road. Uh, one of them that uh, has occasionally popped up in uh, uh, my area of scholarship uh, is, uh, is the question of whether or not I belong on this podcast. 
so it might be fun to do an episode on uh, the question of whether or not psychology is a real science. Um, All right. Yeah. <laughs> that should be good. Well, yeah. we, I was going to bring that up and say, what are you doing here, Charles? But you said it yourself, so I'm not going to – I'm kidding. I, 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 am the, I, I am the spooky dark knight of this trio. Nobody's sure exactly. Well, hey, every I'm every sure trio needs one, right? There we go. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but, but, yeah, there's um, all kinds of cool stuff. We could, uh, uh, we could talk about uh, teaching science in uh, Christian contexts. Uh, it'd be fun to do some... Well, I don't know about fun. Well, no, I do know about fun. If it's not fun, why are we doing it? Uh, exactly. Scientific fraud. Uh, there's mm. been uh, some widely publicized stories about that coming out uh, lately. That might make a good uh, uh, good episode topic. Uh, it's always fun. I don't know if this will be uh, an episode or just a running theme, but complaining about science journalism. Mm. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we could we could have a big time uh, ranting episode about that. I think all of us <laughs> yeah. I have to turn down the volume on yeah. my microphone. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, and uh, you know, with the uh, the w- the issue of uh, struggles and wavering in the faith has come up in uh, some of this autobiographical material a couple of times. Hmm. Uh, and uh, just a minute ago, it occurred to me uh, an episode on science, skepticism, and doubt uh, hmm. might be a good idea. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That sounds cool. Okay, how about you, Todd? Well, I I struggled to keep things I didn't struggle very hard to keep things to two or three, but um I I'll, I will try to keep it short. Um one of the topics that I think would be uh useful to look at and I I I came up with this early as we are, are sort of an offshoot. We're, we're a member of the Christian humanist empire as uh, uh, a member nation state, I suppose, um, of, uh, of 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 that of that uh, uh, empire, as as they like to 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 put it. Uh, I thought it might be interesting to uh, read and discuss uh, C.P. Snow's "The Two Cultures," which is. Um, Positions it puts forth an argument about the conflict or perceived conflict between the science and the humanities. Uh, maybe this is a six-person show that we should do sometime together with them, but I think it would be kind of fun to talk about that. Um, yes, and um, there's definitely not enough uh, conversation about that. Ups, I think that's one yeah. of the that's one of the great things about being on this uh, network with a. Uh, the Christian Humanist uh, podcast is that we can have. I think we have a sort of a unique setup here, mm-hmm. where we have this. We can have this opportunity to discuss it with a completely separate, yeah, type of intellectual endeavor. Yeah. So, yeah. so I think that would be. I think that'd be a lot of fun. I, I'm drawn often to historical topics, so I think that um, it'd be interesting to talk about the history of of developments within our respective fields. Um, and one that I think would really be kind of fun, actually, for its historic value, would be the development of astronomy, and and how, um, you know, how it ha- has has been very tightly connected with views of ultimate reality and and, and so forth, um, and sort of follow that historic train, but also the study of psychology. I think would be uh, would be an interesting uh, historical study that we could do. Um, because nah, we're in the fall. We don't have to talk about psychology. 
I don't think th- I do. So that's two of us, and we can gang up if Dan doesn't. I mean, <laughs> I mean that happens on on the Christian humanists. So why can't we do it? Um, yeah, no kidding. I, you know, I I think it would be interesting for us to consider. Um, well, as as I do this in my classes, um, when the Nobel Prize announcements come out, I always talk a little bit about the, the, the Nobel Prize. Now, maybe, you know, it'll be a boring one this year, I know. Um, but, it, you know, interacting with current developments, current events in science in, in some way, um, I think we could find things that would be interesting to discuss. Um, and one last, uh, we're a technologically oriented body in that we are uh, putting forth our discussion on the Internet I think talking about the interaction between human beings and others mediated by the internet, how does that, how does, how does that play out? Um, and again, I'm thinking that all of us could really have some things to say on this score, uh, but I'd really like to hear from a psychologist as to, you know, how the internet impacts learning, how it impacts communication, um, how technology in general changes us. Um, I, I think those those topics could fit into a nice uh, a nice show as well. But I'll stop there because I don't want to keep on going. Okay, those are those are great. I'm looking forward to talking about those. Um, well, some of mine are one that's something that I've thought about for quite a while, and it's it's a question that I keep coming back in my mind, and I don't really know exactly how to answer it. And um, so I think it'd be really interesting to. To toss around, and that is the definition of faith. What 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 does it mean when you say you have faith in something, and uh, how is that definition used? How is it misused in both Christian and non-Christian uh, circles, um, particularly in regards to some of the more recent, more strident, uh, quote unquote, new atheist attacks on faith as sort of this belief in without evidence, or in spite, even in spite of the evidence, or as uh, as uh, uh, Mark Twain was uh, quoted or supposedly said, you know, faith is believing in something you know ain't so. So I'd like to kind of uh, get everybody's take on what that what faith means to them, um, how it's been used historically, um, and why there's this push to kind of put it in this sort of realm of uh, anti-evidence or without evidence belief. So that's something I'd like to discuss. Um, Another is being uh, a person of faith in uh, academia, particularly secular academia, but but also uh, in Christian academia, how um, how that uh, plays out in our daily lives and and uh, what kinds of challenges there are for a Christian in uh, in a scientific uh, establishment that is, if not, you know, overwhelmingly, it's still quite secular. And Mm -hmm. So I'd like to talk about that. And on the flip side of that, how to be a scientist in um, a a Christian world, in our churches. Mm -hmm. This is something that I've struggled with quite a bit. There's many times, as I kind of alluded to in my discussion of my uh, background, that I feel somewhat out of place. And part of that is my own, you know, problems. And I certainly don't want to blame the church for everything. Um, There's, uh, as I said, the church that I grew up in was absolutely instrumental to my formation as a as a christian and i certainly have oh, a huge debt of gratitude to them but there have been times when i have felt sort of out of place with my scientific leanings and scientific understanding of the world 
And so I'd like to maybe discuss, you know, how, how does that play out? How can we be better scientists uh, as as the Christian humanists call it, the brains and the body. Mm-hmm. How can we do that? How can we show uh, the rest of the, our congregations that science is, is good and it's healthy mm-hmm. and helpful for the church? And uh, so that, that's, that's really near and dear to my heart. I, I think, um, can I interrupt there? I, 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 yeah, that yeah. I, think it, I think it's a fascinating question and uh, an interesting point. And I, I realize I failed to mention where I am uh, church-wise now. Um, we're at an evangelical covenant church, which is a, a, a denomination um, that is related to Lutheran, uh, Lutheran in background, but it's a more of an evangelical uh, congregation in that sense. But interestingly, of our faculty members at Luther who attend this church, uh, at least half of them are scientists. So there's wow. two physicists, That's... two chemists, two biologists. And those are the only those are the only ones that I'm remembering right now. <laughs> but it's that's it's, really great. It's really yeah. so. Yeah. So we have some very good discussions. And I, I will say in my current church, I go to one of the reasons I like I continue to attend it is that I know uh, a couple scientists there that at, from uh, my local university, one who's also a physicist. And we've had many great conversations and consider him a, a mentor in many ways. And so. Absolutely, seeking out those people has been important for me. Yeah, I think that'd be a um, great show. Yeah, um, we uh, ends up being something that all three of us, uh, to to some degree, have in common. The uh, uh, the Anglican Church that uh, I attend uh, here in Saskatchewan uh, is uh, uh, strongly populated with Briarcrest faculty, uh, and yeah, I've I found the uh, uh, the number of PhDs in that uh, that popu- uh, that congregation. Uh, to just be an absolute blessing. Hmm. All right. Cool. Well, um, one last thing, and then I think we've got to wrap things up here because we're rapidly running out of time. Mm-hmm. But uh, I also would like to, at some point, talk about the relationship of philosophy mm-hmm. and science. You bet. Um, there's been a lot of uh, recent uh, hullabaloo about philosophy and some of the popular uh, press and some of the high-profile scientists saying some pretty uh, silly things about how we don't need philosophy anymore. You know, philosophy <laughs> has been superseded by science, you know, oh, it, things like that. And I think we all know uh, the, uh, we've seen that. Mm-hmm. And so I think we uh, could do well to, to discuss what, what is the role of philosophy? What, what does philosophy do? Um, why is it important for uh, scientists to understand philosophy or at least have some working knowledge of, of uh, basic philosophical concepts? Uh, so... Um, with that, I think we should just uh, we should wrap things up. And uh, I think uh, uh, Todd, you are uh, on tap for. We're we're going to try to let, let me say one thing to the to the listeners. Um, unlike the Christian Humanist podcast, we're probably not going to be doing weekly shows. Uh, we've sort of settled on a monthly time frame for now, and we might possibly in the future uh, increase that frequency to biweekly. Um, so, uh, next month is when you'll hear us again, uh, sometime hopefully. And I think Todd is going to, uh, be moderating that mm-hmm. or leading that discussion. Uh, what, what do we got on tap? Well, so, uh, what, it, what, what we've kicked around is, is, um, sort of connected to some of the things we've just been talking about. And, the, and that is the question of science as a gauge for truth, science as a means of, um, 
uh, of gaining truth, whether it's exclusively or uh, uh, the means, or is it a means? Um, this is connected to a, a concept called scientism, um, which is the view, more or less, quickly uh, described as the view that science is the only reliable way to gain knowledge in any sense. Um, we'll, I think we'll be using a couple of articles, one a relatively well-known article um, from someone who defends this notion. Um, the article is entitled Science as Truth. Um, the author is uh, chemist Peter Atkins. And then a more recent response to that um, uh, in a journal uh, called New Atlantis uh, that I subscribe to that discusses things about science, technology, and society. Um, the article there is entitled The Folly of Scientism. So using those articles as a springboard to talk about scientism um, and how, uh, how it can be pro- how it is problematic um, and, and how it's distinguished, how scientism is distinguished from science. Um, and uh, so that's what we'll be talking about next time. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. Um, okay. Uh, well, in the meantime, dear listeners, uh, you can reach us at the ChristianHumanist.org. Uh, we should have the show notes up on the blog there, and you can uh, leave your comments there. We also have uh, an email address. Uh, I think, Charles, uh, you can tell us about that. What, what's, what's our email address? How can they read? Uh, our email address is Book of Nature Podcast, all one word bookofnaturepodcast at gmail.com and we would uh, love to hear feedback from listeners so send it send it along um so i think that 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 about wrap, wraps it up uh i'd like to uh, say that the book of nature is a production of the christian humanist radio network at christianhumanist.org one word christianhumanist.org our intern is uh, zach schmidt who's handling editing responsibilities thank you very much our press liaison is kristen uh, philippic and uh, that's all for today